I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. The book of Daniel. We have reached our final message of Daniel as we come to the end of this book, as we've been making our way through it for some time now. We come to this final chapter and the final verses of the book of Daniel today. I'm looking forward to um, the sermons coming up in the future. Next week, we begin a new series on the I Am statements in the Gospel of John as we continue to uh, unfold God's Word uh, on the Lord's Day. We want to, we're going to take uh, seven weeks to look at the I Am statements, various I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the, uh, the gate, etc. Uh, Trey's going to be kicking that off next week. Uh, I'll be in, Jennifer and I will be in Phoenix, Arizona next Sunday for our annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we'll be there for that meeting. And I know Trey will be serving you well as he unfolds God's word. I believe I am the bread of life starts off next Sunday with that text in John's gospel. Looking forward to the rest of the summer as we will conclude the summer with a few selections from the book of Psalms. And then this fall, uh, second week of September, we're going to begin a journey through the New Testament letter to the Romans, the book of Romans this fall. Looking forward to that time together. In the meantime, let's continue with Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's guidance as we open his word. Father, we thank you for this time. Would you help us understand your word that we might be doers of it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Read from Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse five. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, And that when the shattering of the people of the holy people, the power of the holy people comes to an end, all things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves quiet and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand." For the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. The book of Daniel, one could say is a manual for persevering through troubled times. The events that unfold in this book happened during a time of Babylonian captivity when God's people had been taken out of Jerusalem and now were in exile in Babylon. And Daniel is given these instructions. He's given a responsibility there in exile to to serve, even in a very high-ranking capacity. But even in later parts of this book, he's given these visions of what would be. This 
guide to perseverance, if you will. You know, if I had to summarize the book of Daniel, I would summarize it this way. God is sovereign, suffering is real, our deliverance is certain, therefore perseverance is necessary. That's a good summary of the book of Daniel. God is absolutely sovereign. Suffering among God's people is a reality. Deliverance has been guaranteed, therefore perseverance is needed. All the way through this book, we've been reminded of these themes, whether through the fiery furnace, the den of lions, through visions of looking to the future, either the future of the returned exiles in in Jerusalem or even beyond. All of these things serving to encourage Daniel and the exiles of that day and the generations that would follow. They needed to be reminded, just as we need to be reminded, of God's sovereignty in light of the sobering realities that they would face if indeed they were going to persevere to the end. But friend, the same is true for us. We too live in troubled times. We too are exiles waiting for our arrival to the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. We too struggle. We too have been guaranteed deliverance. So as we dive into this last message in Daniel, my prayer is that we too would be encouraged and strengthened to persevere in the difficulties that we too face. It's a fact that God strengthens. He strengthens the perseverance of his people even in the midst of difficult times by reminding them of their future hope. And I think that's what we see here in the concluding verses of Daniel chapter 12. He is encouraging his people to persevere to the end as he gives them a glimpse of their future deliverance and their future hope, which would serve as a foundation and confidence for them to continue in the faith. So I want us to consider that this morning. How can we as God's people, how could Daniel, how could these exiles, how could the generations that would follow them, how could those generations that follow us persevere even in the midst of the greatest trials and tribulations that might come our way? Well, here we see four things that I believe empowers the perseverance of the saints, perseverance of God's people. Four things from this text. Number one, one of the reasons that we're able to persevere is that we have confidence in our future. That's been a theme all the way through the book of Daniel. We have confidence in the future. Certainly confidence in the present. And I just want to briefly look at this one with you this morning because we looked at this text last week. But there in the first four verses of Daniel chapter 12, we have this, this reminder. And I think it's worth, well worth our, our review this morning. These verses seem to be looking well into the future at the end of human history after God's people have endured a season of intense suffering. And we see that in verse one. Uh, verse one, at that time, Michael or shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charged of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name was found written in the book. There's a confidence here, isn't there? There's a confidence in future deliverance. God's people, we're told, if you continue reading verse two and three, God's people will be raised to everlasting life, but the wicked will be raised to everlasting shame and contempt. 
While these words are a source of confidence for the people of God, they should also be a, a source of warning, shouldn't they? You see that in verse two. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. He's talking about what is likely the general resur- resurrection at the end of time when all the people will be raised and, and divided and sorted. People of God to heaven and the unbelievers to hell. God's people raised to everlasting life, the wicked raised to everlasting shame and contempt. A source of encouragement for the people of God, but a warning. In other words, what was being told and what the, what the Jew would hear is that you might very well be a good Jew, but in the end, be raised to an eternity without God. This is the message to Daniel. It's a message to us. Friend, if you belong to God, no matter what you experience in this life, no matter the trial, no matter the intensity of the tribulation you might face, no matter how strong the day of trouble might be, God's people shall be delivered. Having this knowledge, folks, and having this confidence is necessary for our perseverance. Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, it'll be about four years till we get to that verse starting in the fall. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice Paul, we're suffering, but these sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that might come. He doesn't say might, does he? No, that is to be revealed to us. You see, Paul's hope, even when you get to the New Testament, Paul's hope was on that future glory that he was certain of, and that's what propelled him forward in perseverance. Friend, I just ask you today, do you have that same hope? Do you have that same source of confidence? I'm not asking you to answer that question for your spouse or for your children. I'm asking you, friend, Do you have this same source of confidence in a future hope? Are you looking forward to the life to come or do you buy buy that lie that your best life is now? They sell books on those kinds of foolish things. Friend, our best life is yet to come. Our best hope is yet to be revealed. Are you trusting in that? We have a confidence in our future. That empowers perseverance, but we also need to understand that we have a limited struggle. We, we have a struggle. We have a struggle in this world. We know that we, we see this in Daniel. Daniel and the exiles were living in a day of trouble. What they've been told throughout these visions is that they were gonna return to the land, they were gonna rebuild the temple, they were gonna be, rebuild the city, but in a troubled time. It wasn't going to be a good day in Jerusalem. Yes, they would have the temple back. Yes, they would have the sacrifices back. Yes, they would have all of what they knew back, but it would be difficult for them. They would become the target of intense persecution. It would be hard. We know that ever since that time and, and since even until today, God's people continue to suffer. As this vision comes to a close here in Daniel, we see, picking up in verse five, two others that he references. Now, just remember, especially those of you who've not been with us for the past few weeks, chapters 10 through 12 cover one vision. Chapter 10 is an introduction to the vision. Chapter 11 is the explanation of the vision. And chapter 12 is the conclusion to the vision and really to the book of Daniel. 
So now we're kind of looking at the conclusion, the okay, what now kind of response to what Daniel had just been revealed, what had been revealed to Daniel, what he had just seen in this vision, unpacking the course of human history for him and all the trouble and difficulty that God's people would face. And so now in chapter 12, he's kind of having that wrapped up for him and now the application is being given to him. So it's kind of like a long sermon, right? You have the introduction, you have the explanation, and now the application. It's good preaching, right? Introduction, application, or introduction, explanation, application. Some of you guys who want to be pastors in the future, that would be a good model. We see it modeled right here in the book of Daniel. Great PhD dissertation on Daniel's model for preaching. Anyway, sorry. Chapter 12, we're kind of now wrapping up with application to what vision he had seen. So now he sees two. He's, he's, he's coming out of this, this vision. And it was not, he's still in the vision, but he's coming out of the detailed history part. And he sees two others standing on the bank of the stream, likely angelic beings. Remember from the introduction of chapter 10, the introduction to the vision, there's a being hovering over the water. Daniel sees it. The guys that were with him, they freak out and run. And so Daniel's the one standing there seeing all this unfold. Now he sees two others. We're told one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And he's, it's interesting. If, if you look at verse six, one of the ones that Daniel sees, one of these likely angelic beings, ask a question. There's two questions in the final verses here. One asked by an angel, one asked by Daniel. The first question is in verse six. One of the angelic beings, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? How long will it be? It's almost a very, it's, it's a compassionate question. How long will it be that these dear people will suffer? Before the answer is given, this being, angelic being, verse seven, raises both hands to heaven and swears by him who lives forever. Now in Old Testament days, it was a normal custom to raise one's hand to heaven when they were swearing an oath or they would raise one's hand. You, you see it in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham does this when he's talking about the king of Sodom. Moses does this in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 40. So you see it, uh, examples of it in the Old Testament, but oftentimes a person would raise their hand, one hand to heaven in order to validate what they were about to say. It was like an oath. I promise before God that this is true. Notice here, this angelic being raises both hands. This was probably to emphasize with no question the significance and reliability of the answer that he was about to receive. So not just one hand, but two hands. Go up. And then he gives the answer. He says that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the people, or excuse me, the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. This time, times, and half a time is language we've seen before. We go back to Daniel chapter seven, verse 25, where we saw it there. There are a lot of explanations as to what this means. Some think that this is a, the, the, most scholars agree that this is referring to, to three and a half we talked about back in chapter seven where they kind of arrive at that understanding. 
Some take this to be the persecution of Antiochus' day. Remember the Antiochus, the, the Greek general that comes and wreaks havoc in 167 BC among the people of God once they're back, which lasted approximately three and a half years. Others think that this is a future persecution being referred to here, led by the Antichrist, Antiochus being the prototype, but yet a future suffering for three and a half years that's led by the Antichrist. But there are others who see that this is simply time, times, and half a time, a symbolic reference for a fixed period of time from the time of this prophecy until the end of history. I tend to think that that's probably the most valid understanding of what this time, times, and half a time means. In Scripture, the number seven denotes a full, complete period of time. So three and a half is half that number of completion, thus indicating here that this time is a restricted, limited period of time. So regardless, though, what, which, which view someone takes, what seems to be the case here is that the end of these sufferings, whether it was past, whether it's a present reality, God's people are suffering on a large scale throughout human history, or whether it's a future suffering of tribulation to come, what we see is that these, play, these, these events are a relatively limited period it involves a limited period of time. God's people will see an increased hostility and likely a period of intense suffering. We know that that's likely the case prior to the second coming of Christ. But the good news is that such a time will be cut short. Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. Again, there are people who see what's going on here in various ways. Some seeing that this is the uh, reference to the a Roman general who would come in AD 70 and destroy the temple. Others see it as a future event yet to happen. But Jesus is talking there and he says about this time of tribulation and, and persecution, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. It won't be the full seven, that will be the three and a half. And so whether it's a literal restricted year or whether it's an extended period of time that has an end, it's gonna be cut short. This is what we're seeing. It's a limited fixed time. No matter where or when it happens, the tribulation that God's people will endure, even if for a lifetime, is still limited. You get that? Think about it. Even if you have a lifetime of struggle and tribulation, Compared to eternity, it's still a limited period of time. The struggles we endure in this world cannot ultimately take you. I would actually argue, that I think this is a great text to see how I believe that even the church goes through the tribulation, through tribulation. I think it also teaches us something about how God works. Even when evil has done its worst, God still has his very best to give us. Even when evil has done its very, the most damage it can do, God still has his very best to give us. Whatever this suffering, this time of tribulation is referring to, whether it's the Jews in 167, the church throughout human history, or, or the suffering of God's people at the hands of Antichrist towards the end of history, the point is this, God will not forsake his people. He will not abandon them. He will, he will keep them and he will preserve them. 
Human history has demonstrated time after time again that the people of God often find themselves suffering at the hands of persecutors. Today, more Christians are persecuted in the world than at any other point in human history. We may not feel it here, but friend, let me reassure you, whether it's a bus full of Egyptian cops that were slaughtered a week or two ago, or Syrian believers that are slaughtered at the hands of an evil regime, North Korean believers that are suffering unimaginable atrocities. On and on and on we could go, brothers and sisters, suffering greatly today. And we often find ourselves caught in the fray of the world's impact in this spirit of antichrist that is already present, as John refers to. And it's easy to get discouraged when you see the church struggling and the church attacked, it's hard, it's hard to endure that, isn't it? It's easy to grow weary when evil seems to have the upper hand. But this text, friend, it would remind us that we should not grow weary. We should not grow weary. It's a limited time of struggle. And this is often how God works, by the way. Just when things seem to be at their worst, just when resources are spent, it's, it's at those times that God flexes his, flexes his mighty arm. God's full deliverance doesn't come when the church seems to be at its strongest, but rather at its weakest. I don't think that this, this eschatological viewpoint that, that Christians are going to usher in the kingdom by making the world a better place and it's just gonna become a better place over time and then King Jesus will take the throne. I don't think that that's valid whatsoever. I think it's at the weakest point, at the most difficult point that God will flex his arm and bring deliverance. I think that's what this text is highlighting. We have a limited struggle in this world. It may feel long. It may feel long. It may feel as if how much longer can we endure this? But friend, it's a limited time. God will act. Leads me to the third point is that we have a certain outcome. Very similar to the first point, but a little different. So Daniel receives the answer. He asks, or this angelic being, how long will it be? And he's given the answer. Be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the people of the holy, or the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things should be finished. So clearly there in verse seven, that the holy people, God's people, will not be absent of trial and struggle. Daniel responds, I heard, but I did not understand. And then he asked his question. First question was, how long will it be? He's given an answer. We a limited time. Oh, Lord, what shall be the outcome then of these things, Daniel asked. What shall be the outcome? I don't understand all that you've told me, but what's it all leading to? Daniel's thinking like a man here. Just give me the bottom line, all right? You've given me all these details. I'm confused. I don't understand what's gonna happen. It's bottom line. Just tell me what, what I need to know, right? Why is all the wives looking at their husbands right now? Just, just curious. That's how Daniel, that's, he, you know, he's, he's overwhelmed with this vision and he's like, Lord, just tell me what the outcome will be. Now think about all that's behind that question, especially if you've journeyed with, with us throughout this book of Daniel. I mean, Daniel, there's a context in which he's asking this question, right? He'd been given the ability to interpret dreams early on. Know that he did that with Nebuchadnezzar and others. 
through those interpretations, had been taught that while human kingdoms come and go, God's kingdom will be built forever. So he's been given this kingdom understanding that God's kingdom will last. And now he's being told that God's people are gonna be shattered. It's like, so he's, he's struggling here. He'd seen visions where God's people would suffer intense persecution. He'd been reassured, though, that God is still present and sustaining and preserving his people. He had experienced personally God's deliverance from the lion's den. He had been shown what was about to unfold later on throughout history. Daniel had seen a lot, been given this hope, this confidence, and now he's being told that the holy people will be shattered. What could this possibly mean? And where does all this end? While he had known the preserving grace of God in his own life, there was still much he didn't understand about the future. Thus his question. Daniel is given an answer, sort of. He's not given the answer he was probably looking for, but he's given an answer. Lord ever do that to you? Asking a question, expecting kind of a particular answer to that question, you're kind of given an answer, but it's not exactly like you thought. It's kind of the case here. He's given an answer, and I would say it's kind of given in two phases. Now, look at verse nine. Verse eight, he asked the question, what shall be the outcome of these things? Verse nine, he said, the Lord is speaking here, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. That's helpful, right? What's the outcome? Just go your way. Get on with life, Daniel. Don't worry so much about the future. Be faithful in your responsibility today. He was given the details to record and seal up until the time of the end, but his job was to be faithful in the present. And we're gonna come back to that in a moment. But he is also given a little bit more in verse 10. After he's told to, to get on with life, to go his way, he says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who arrives at the 1,335 days. So he's kind of given a timing factor again here, but Basically, the answer is this, go your way, but understand that until that day, until that outcome is complete, there's going to be an ongoing division of humanity. There will be those who are God's people and those who are not. There will be those who are the many, the righteous, and there will be those who are the wicked. Two humanities living side by side until the time of the end. So Daniel is told that at least one of the things that he can expect and the people of God can expect moving forward is this ongoing division and clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. The many, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. The many here who purify themselves, who make themselves white and are refined, these are God's people, particularly those who have been purified even through trial and trouble refined through suffering. They remain faithful no matter what it might cost them. And the wicked, the wicked, expect the wicked to be acting like the wicked. They don't understand. They don't have this 
innate understanding of who I am. And this text just simply reminds us of the great division that marks all humanity. It was alluded to in verses two and three. But one of the things that Daniel and the rest of us can be certain of as the end approaches is that there will be only two ways to live. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And I would actually, I've come to the conclusion that I think most people are living for the middle ground today. They're not against God. So therefore they would certainly not classify themselves as wicked. They're not following him either. Kind of in the middle. Friend, the Bible has no such category. Maybe you're here today and, and you're not outwardly hostile to, to the things of God. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe you believe that even Jesus is a, is a wonderful savior. You've not trusted in him. You've not placed your faith in him. You've not repented of your sins and turned in faith to trust him. But he's a good guy. And there are two classes of humanity. There are the righteous and the unrighteous. There are those who are believers and there are those who are unbelievers. There are those who belong to God and there are those who do not belong to God. There is no middle ground. You are one or you are the other. Right now, as I speak, you are one or you are the other. What does the fruit in your life tell you? What does it tell others? That's what God is telling us here is through Daniel and what he's reminding of Daniel, expect as time approaches, as the end approaches, as time goes on, as troubles come, that there are going to be those who live for me and those who don't. There's no middle ground. And I would just encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, the one who would come, fulfill all righteousness, and yet die upon a cross in the stead of sinners, bearing their guilt and their shame, absorbing God's righteous anger against sin once and for all. If you've never trusted in that, if you've never put your hope in that, friend, you would still be among the wicked. You say, well, I'm not a wicked person. Friend, the, the, the Bible teaches us that we are all fallen. We are all sinners, all of us. It's a room full of sinners. You have a sinner preaching to you right now. There's nothing in us that can save us and make us right with God. Our only hope is trusting in what God has provided, that of a savior in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in him, believing in him, embracing him as your hope and as your treasure, then friend, you are part of the righteous. You have, you have been welcomed into the kingdom of God. But if you are not trusting in that, you're trusting in yourself, your good works, you're trusting in, in, in something different, friend, you are still among those who will be raised to eternal Contempt and shame. Trust in Christ, friend. Believe in what he has done. There's no fence riding. There's no such thing. You might try, but there's no such thing. You're either with God or you're not. This is what he explains. This is how things will be. Then in verses 11 and 12, these can be difficult verses. Because the angel says that all this will happen from the time of the abomination that, of desolation that takes place. Looking back to the time when Antiochus would attack and desecrate the temple by offering pig's flesh on the altar and setting up an image of Zeus. And that it would last 1,290 days. And then there's the mention of 1,335 days. Again, if you take 
1290 and divide it by our calendar, which was not necessarily the same calendar they operated by in the Old Testament. You come to about three and a half years. But again, it could very well just stand to point to a fixed time. In fact, I've read commentary after commentary after commentary. And you know what most of them say? We really don't know what these numbers mean. But what we do understand is that there is a fixed time, a limited time that these things will be and then the end will come. And what we're told here is it's going to last 1,290 days, but blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335. Indicates that the 1290 will come, but God's people will need to persevere just a bit longer. Yeah, there's been a lot of answers given as to what these numbers mean or refer to, but the main point here is not to figure out exactly when they will come to an end, but that there is a fixed amount of time that will lead until the end, a time that requires our perseverance. Notice the emphasis in verse 12. The emphasis is not so much on the time as the blessing is given to those who wait. It's not say, blessed is he who figures out what these 1335 mean. It says, blessed is he who waits and arrives at those days. My, my concern is that there are more Christians trying to figure out the, the quantity and what all these days mean instead of living faithful until those days are complete. And just, it's amazing how Christians get caught up with things that are so distracting. All he's being called to here is, blessed are those who persevere to the end. Which leads me finally to the fourth point of how do we persevere? We have a clear responsibility. Look at verse 13. These are the final words the Lord gives to Daniel. After all that he's seen and all that he's experienced, he's told, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful gift that God gives Daniel. Two things Daniel's told. Daniel, your responsibility is clear. Go your way to the end. Keep working to the end. Keep faithful to the end. Keep doing what God has given you to do to the end. Daniel, you may not understand these things, but you be faithful. Go your way to the end. Get on with life, Daniel. So your responsibility is clear and your future is settled. Go your way. There's coming a day that you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. What more do we need, friends? What a message we have here in Daniel. Times are bad. Times will increasingly get bad depending on when you live and where you live. Continue to be. But God is sovereign and he will bring about his kingdom at the appointed time. Knowing that our future is settled means so much to our present responsibilities. It's so instructive. No matter what we might be called to suffer, no matter what we might have to endure, we do so with joy because we know that one day all that's wrong will be made right. All that's broken will be restored. All that is, is, is marred by sin will be restored in righteousness. We can go on our way 
We can continue to persevere, continue to fulfill our obligations and responsibilities to God and to man because we know that our future is settled. Your future, friend, is settled. God has said so. And we will suffer in this life, some of us more than others. I think Daniel would remind us such suffering need not be in vain. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, the writer encourages us after he comes out of the chapter 11, which is a description of all of those who have gone before us in faith, many of which have endured horrible, horrible hostility. Just read Hebrews chapter 11 later today and then read chapters 12, verses one and two. So after all of this, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us go on our way. Let us get on with life. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured suffering, despising the shame, but yet now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we go on with life, looking to our Savior, who endured much hostility and much suffering for our sake, so that one day, when all is said and done, we will gladly be welcomed into his arms for all of eternity. A book that's a Christian classic, written by John Bunyan, was a book that many of you know well, Pilgrim's Progress. It's a classic allegory describing the journey of a struggling pilgrim making his way to the celestial city. His name is Christian. Just marking allegorically the, the struggle of the Christian life, making his or her way to heaven. It's a wonderful book. Through that book, Christian and his companion, Hopeful, his friend, Hopeful, they're making their way through the many difficulties of life, the slew of despond, doubting castle. They encounter giant despair and much more until they arrive in the country of Beulah where they can see from a distance the celestial city. I just wanna pick up there in that scene and kind of read some excerpts until they get there. I just want you to hear this. As Bunyan writes, he says, now I saw in my dream that by this time the pilgrims had gotten past the enchanted ground. They were now entering the country of Beulah where the air is sweet and refreshing. As they drew near to the city, they had an even more wonderful view of it. The beauty of the city and the radiance of the sunbeams coming from, from it were such a glorious sight that Christian became sick with intense longing. And then we're told Christian and hopeful after seeing that determined from that point to go on up to the city. It says then, then I saw a river that flowed between them and the gate. There was no bridge for crossing over. The river was very deep. They were astonished by the sight of the river, but the shining ones present said, you must go through it or you cannot approach the gates. Christian and hopeful finally resolved to go into the water. Upon entering, however, Christian began to sink, crying out to his good friend, Hopeful. He said, the engulfing waters threaten me and the deep surrounds me. The waves of death swirl about me and the torrents of destruction overwhelm me. And then Hopeful said to him, cheer up my brother. I can feel the bottom 
and it is firm. Later on, as Hopeful continued to encourage Christian, he said, these troubles and distresses that you are going through are no sign that God has forsaken you. Eventually, Christian yelled with a loud voice, oh, I do see him again. And he tells me, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. So they both took courage and thus they got over. Friend, what a beautiful reminder that though the sufferings of this life are real, there's coming a day when we will enter that river of death or we will meet the Lord at his coming. And it too will be said of us. And thus they got over. We too shall rest. We too shall stand in our allotted place at the end of days. But in the meantime, we must go on our way. We must do the work that God has called us to do. We must know that he is sovereign. The sufferings are real, but deliverance has been promised. Therefore, we can persevere by his grace. Let's keep faithful. Go on our way while we long for our eternal home. Friend, that's how exiles live. They live with hope of a future. And we have one that's far greater than anything we can imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing word of hope. Lord, we know that through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. But Lord, you will get us home. You will give us all that we need because we are your people and you have promised to always be with us. Father, I thank you for this word of reminder this morning of perseverance. Or we can persevere, not because we're strong, not because we're able, but because we have a wonderful promise and a God who backs up his promises. Or we're not impressed as we conclude this book with Daniel, though he's a great example. Father, we're impressed with Daniel's God. Because you, God, are our God. You are our deliverer. You are the one in which our hope rests. The same one to which Daniel prayed. The same one, God, to which Daniel served. You are the same one that told Daniel to go on his way that at the end of days, he will rest in his allotted place. Lord, you have told us the same. So God, would you strengthen us? Would you equip us? Would you enable us for this journey that we have? That we would walk in faith knowing that we have a God who holds us fast, that keeps us secure, and that will bring us home. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing God's praise.